Uh, and even before I get on the screen behind me, I just wanted to thank John. John and, and Tyler, they did such a wonderful job. If you weren't here uh, this morning, I would suggest, uh, Jim, was that recorded this morning? I would suggest you go home and, and you watch it and you listen to it because, I mean, let's just be honest, right? Um, it's, with over the last two, three years with COVID, we haven't really got to hear from our missionaries and stuff a whole lot. And I know COVID started maybe, what, eight, nine months after I got here. So I was just starting to learn about some of the, the, the missions that we support and the different things. And, you know, I haven't really got to hear about who does what, where, when, how, why. And so to hear what Brother John is doing over there and how so many people are supporting that work and seeing the lives that are being changed and uh, uh, seeing the work that is being done, uh, it makes me and hopefully all of us want to do more because it's not just like, you know, we're, we're inundated here in America, right? Every time you turn on the television, isn't there a different uh, charity that's asking for money? Aren't you getting things in the mail that people are constantly asking for money? And so it's, it's one of those things to where when you see it, and, and then you, and plus we have Brother John, who we know and love here at Lincoln Park, to hear what he's doing and what so many people are supporting, hopefully that's going to cause us all to want to, to, to step up our efforts to, to really support that work. And so, uh, John, God bless you and the people that are supporting you and all the work that you're doing there. Uh, but as we get into this morning's lesson, having regard for others, right, having respect for others, that's what I want to focus on this morning because... Today, as we look at today's lesson, right, we're going to look at how Jesus, uh, how he uh, showed respect, showed regard for people uh, in every walk of life, right? Uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, we've been looking at, uh, you know, the, we've been looking at the actual, is this mic working right here? It seems like I was louder when I was over there. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure, but it seems like when we were talking about John uh, and the woman at the well, right, John chapter 4. Uh, and we were seeing how Jesus was offering a spiritual truth, but she uh, was thinking about it in, 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 the, in the literalness of what he was saying, right? Uh, if, you, if you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. And she's like, well, where do you get this water, right? She's thinking from a literal sense. John chapter 6, right? He feeds the multitude. And then he talks about how I am the bread of life. And then he starts to separate the sheep from the goat, and he's starting to tell them, how, you know, I am the bread of life. He's offering a spiritual uh, teaching, but yet they're looking at it from a literal, uh, from a literal teaching, right? Uh, you look at other aspects of scripture, and we see how when Jesus presented a spiritual, Jesus presented a spiritual truth, they oftentimes only could hear and see uh, the, the literalness of what he was saying. And so today I want us to look at the scriptures to really understand what Jesus and how he carried himself, how he conducted himself, because he... Uh, he did something that is something that we need to emulate, right? We need to make sure that we're doing the same thing, and that's having regard for our fellow man, having regard and respect for, for all of mankind, no matter who they are, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter what their, uh, their income bracket is, no matter what their vocation is. We need to have respect and honor and regard for all God's creation. For last time I checked, we are all God's children, are we not? Are the people uh, even who have not been baptized, are they still not God's creation? Are they still not God's children, even if they don't know it yet? So they need uh, us to go out into the world to reflect the light of Christ. And so as we talk about the lesson here this morning, it's one of the great many examples that we learn in Scripture is how Jesus had a great respect 
and a great regard for all creation. We see that. That's why he went through the land of Samaria. That's why he didn't go around. He decided to go right through the heart of Samaria to sit down to talk to this woman that no other Jewish man would have talked to because A, she was a Samaritan, B, she was a woman. And they didn't even talk to their own women, the Jews, many times in public. And if they did, it was very uh, little and very rare. And so we're going to see how Jesus had regard for all mankind. And so even in the book of Isaiah, you know, when you get to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 and this verse 7 that's on the screen behind me, this was written like 800 years before Jesus' trial. But notice what it says in Isaiah 53 and 7. Jesus, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I want you to consider that. He opened not his mouth, and yet he went to the, uh, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he was like a lamb sent to the slaughter, and yet he didn't try to do what? He didn't try to argue, he didn't try to fight back, he didn't try to curse them, he didn't try to do many of the things that many of us would have done if we were in a similar situation. As I said, Isaiah wrote this 800 years before his trial. And as a sheep that was led before its shears is silent, so Jesus was silent before his accusers. Brethren, how many of us, most of us, when we are accused of something, do you not immediately want to fight back? Have you guys ever heard that expression, tit for tat? Why, why, where does that expression come from? Because when we're accused of something, when we've been, uh, when we, when we've been slandered about something, we're, our, first, uh, our first defense is usually to, to, to fight back. And if we're being treated unju unjustly, we let others know oftentimes what is happening. And we want others to know what's happening because we are being treated un unjustly, unfairly, and we expect and we want people to be able to stand up for us. But Jesus, it tells us 800 years before his, uh, his trial, that he was silent before his accusers. This is not how Jesus responded. Jesus re didn't respond with false accusations. He didn't, he didn't respond by spewing venom and threats. He did not talk back as so many of us would have done today. It makes me think of what Martin Luther King Jr. had to say. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be judged not by the color of the skin, but of the content of their character. And you think about that, the content of their character. And that is exactly what Jesus shows. He shows us the content of our character as disciples of Christ, the, the type of character that we're to have. When we think about Jesus' teachings, we think about the respect he had for others, we see it really in four different areas. The first area that we're going to look at is he, he showed respect for other people's choices. Jesus, when he showed respect for other people's choices, and we'll look into this a little bit deeper, he didn't force somebody upon him. He didn't force himself upon somebody. He gave them sometimes very direct and honest teachings and allowed them to make a choice. And so we see that Jesus respected the choices of others. We see that Jesus did not revile or threaten others, even though how he was mistreated. We see that Jesus prayed for those who even put him on the cross. How oftentimes we want to, the tit for the tat, right? We want to accuse, we want to stand up, we want to fight back, we want to, if we're slandered, we want to slander. I mean, those are usually human emotions that kind of come to the forefront of our minds because that's just kind of what people do. But Jesus, he found himself not looking for revenge. He found himself, he sought himself and found himself praying for those who were uh, persecuting him. And Jesus honored his father's will. 
Those are the few areas that I want to look at this morning when we consider our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how he was truly the ultimate example of, of what we're to emulate, what we're to become as his disciples. So this first one, let's examine it. Jesus respected each person's choice. And the first area that I want to look at this morning in Scripture outside of Isaiah is in the Gospel of Matthew in the 8th chapter. In the 8th chapter of Matthew in verses 18 through 22, I want you to see, because Jesus is going to have an interaction here with two disciples, and I want you to see how Jesus handles this situation. In Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18, the Scriptures tell us, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart uh, to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came to him and said to him, and the scribes are lawyers, if you don't know. So the scribe, a lawyer, he came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow, where you, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus offers a, a very a direct and a very uh, uh, honest response. He says, You will, huh? He says, I just want you to let you know that, you know, foxes, they have holes. The birds of the trees, they have the birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You still want to follow me? You see, when you think about what Jesus was just saying to this lawyer, to this scribe, he's saying, you may want to follow me, but you may want to consider what it's going to cost you. And then you think about in verse 21 what it says. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. You look at what Jesus is telling us here in Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus' response is honest, but it's also very direct. And you see, the scribe, he didn't want to necessarily leave the comforts of home, but he wanted to, leave, he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to be associated with Jesus. And many of our historians and many of the scholars think that the scribe was more influenced by the prospect of what worldly advantages he may receive by being known uh, as a disciple of Christ, what worldly advantages he may be able to receive uh, by being part of the kingdom of Christ. And so he was willing to say, hey, I too want to follow you. And Jesus says, that's cool if you want to follow me, but you might want to consider what it's going to mean to follow me. Even the foxes, of the, even the foxes have the holes to go to. The birds have the nests to go to. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You still want to come, Lewis? You see, brethren, you look at this, right? And you think about what Jesus is telling them here. And then we got this other disciple, right? The other disciple didn't want to leave behind some of his family ties that he has. And there's really no way to really know for certain what possible obligations maybe this man had in mind. Was it literally his father's funeral? You know, we don't really necessarily know. But, you know, when we look at the scriptures, what we see what it's saying here, there appears no reason to not accept it at face value. But the point that Jesus is trying to make here with this very direct and this very, um, uh, with this just very direct line of, and honest line, uh, line of reasoning, he says, let the, let the dead go bury their own dead. And what Jesus is saying here is that there is really no other way um, than to follow him with a sense of urgency. If that means you have to leave your father behind, if that leaves you, it means you have to leave your mother behind, if that means you have to leave your children behind, Jesus is wanting him to know the urgency, the priority that it's going to take to follow Jesus and to put yourself in harm's way or to put yourself maybe in a situation that's undesirable, but it doesn't matter because you still need to follow me. If you, don't, if you, want, if you want to know more about that, reference uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. 
Because you'll see what Jesus is talking about there. About those who lay their hands to the plow and look back, they're not worthy of me. Those who, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, when it says those who um, uh, don't want to leave uh, mother and father or put mother and father before me are unworthy of me. Those who put son or daughter ahead of me are unworthy of me. And so Jesus' teachings there, they're honest, they're direct, but he's letting you know that there's a cost that needs to be paid if you wish to follow me. There's a cost that's going to have to be paid if you wish to be a disciple of mine. And so this disciple is told to leave the business of physically burying the dead to the spiritually dead. Because if you want to be a disciple of mine, there's some things that are going to be difficult. There's some things that are going to be hard, but you're going to have to make sure that you're willing to do that. You remember when Jesus is, uh, was having a conversation with his apostles, and they said, he said, do you, do you, do you also not want to leave? And he simply said, and, they, and Peter told him, well, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And then even his disciples asked him in another passage of Scripture in the Gospels, they said, we've left everything and followed you. What are we going to get, right? When they didn't understand how the rich man couldn't even enter into the kingdom of God. And so we see that there's an urgency. We see that there is, there is things that are going to maybe have to be walked away from, things that may have to be left behind to truly follow Jesus the way that we are called to. And so while you know, the saying may appear overly harsh as you look at the 8th chapter of, of Matthew, as you look at those two examples of these disciples and Jesus is speaking directly to, it seems overly harsh, but the language is intended to reinforce the absolute priority, the uncompromising demands of discipleship of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know that, that Jesus, God, the Father, our Savior, have to be first place in our lives. It doesn't matter what you have to give up if you truly want to be a child of God. And, there's un and, and these demands are uncompromising. Any postponement for, for even the noblest of reasons cannot take precedence over the, over the urgency that, that becomes a, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so that is the message that he's trying to get across there in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus told them what to expect of them uh, and let them make a choice. He told them what was expected if they wished to be a disciple, and he says, now go ahead and make a choice. You see, brethren, that's not a whole lot different than what we do in the world today. Think about also in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 24. That's the passage of scripture where we read about the, the rich young ruler. And Jesus told him, if you wish to be perfect, not perfect as in sinless, but if you wish to be complete, if you will. He goes, if you want to be complete, go and sell all your possessions. Give to the poor, and then what? Come follow me. And yet, when you read that story, brother, what do we understand? We know it says that the rich young ruler, instead of following Jesus, instead of giving up his material things, because Jesus knew his heart, he went away sorrowful. And Jesus respected his decision. You didn't see Jesus chasing after him and say, well, wait a second, let's just have a conversation. Maybe we can loosen it up a little bit. Maybe you don't have to give away everything. Maybe you could just keep some stuff on the side and still follow me, but still, you know, keep some of the creature comforts of life. No, this man walked away sorrowful, and Jesus let him walk away. Why? Because Jesus wants us to know that being disciples of his is going to be difficult. There's a cost that needs to be paid. He wants us to know that you may have to go to a place to where you have no place to lay your head. You may, be able to, you may go without food at a time. 
in the mission fields. You may struggle. You may suffer. Jesus says if they hated you, they hated me first. So brethren, we think about discipleship. We think about what it means and the urgency of being a, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. It makes me think of the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 6, basically it's pretty much the whole chapter, but if you look at verses like 26 through like 67, the people couldn't understand the spiritual lessons Jesus was trying to teach versus the literal teachings of Christ, right? So Jesus' teachings, were you taking them literally? Or could you, could you read, could you understand the spiritual application of the teachings of Christ when it came to eating my flesh? When it came to drinking my blood, could you understand the spiritual ramifications or applications? And thus, from that time on, in John chapter 6, around verse 67, it tells us that many of his disciples, they walked away, they went back home, and they walked with Jesus no more. So what is the point? That Jesus said to the twelve, do you do not want to go? But Jesus didn't beg those people who decided to walk away. He didn't beg them to stay. How many times do people want to walk away from the Lord's church? Are we trying to maybe beg them to return? I know that it's a little bit different here in what we see in Jesus' ministry from what we're called to do with church discipline in Matthew 18 and others. You read about the story of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about the man who had uh, his father's wife. And then you read about in 2 Corinthians how, hey, it's time to go back to try to get the man. So we know that you know, there's, there's a time and a place. But people need to know that there is a cost to discipleship and that we have to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. We have to put him first in our lives. And if we're not willing to do that, brethren, then there's a problem. And the problem is, is that we're probably living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But there comes a time to where we have to let those who decide to walk away from Christ, there comes a time where you have to let them go. You got to let them go and you need to focus on the next person. You need to focus on those who are seeking, those who have a heart that, that is open to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who are that choose to reject the truth, choose to reject the sacrifice of Christ, it, there comes a time when you have to let them go. You didn't see Jesus and his apostles chasing after many of the people who seen, who heard the truth, Who's seen the, the power, the, the miracles, the signs, the wonders? You didn't see them chasing back after them. They allowed them to make a choice. They allowed them to go. So, brethren, we look at this information. Just like today, people hear of Jesus, they read of the eyewitness testimony, and they make a choice. They make a choice to either follow Jesus or to walk away and to reject him. People today hear the truth in the scriptures that are often contradictory to what they have learned growing up in denominations, what their denominational creeds have taught them, and they come to a place to where they have to make a choice. They're either going to accept the truth for what it says, uh, what the scriptures teach us, or they're going to have to reject the teachings of Jesus Christ. And you see, Jesus allowed the people of his day to make a choice. Once we bring the truth, and we teach it unperverted to those in the world, we allow them to make a choice. Are you going to accept the truth? Are you going to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or are you going to reject it? Reject Jesus. Reject his teachings. Because Jesus tells us, if you, if you reject me and you reject my sayings, you have that which judges you. For my words will judge you in the last days. Brethren, Jesus wanted people to follow him. He's, uh, because of the, he, he wanted people to follow him because of the spiritual truths that he spoke. 
And he backed it up with the power of God. He backed it up with miracles, signs, and wonders. That is the reason why we have the power of God in the scriptures. That's why we have the miracle, signs, and wonder. To give confirmation to the word of God. And Jesus believed and he taught that each and every person was responsible for their choices. The next thing I want to look at here this morning, and the second point was, Jesus did not revile. He did not threaten others. I want you to think about what Peter had to say when he thought back on the life of Christ and thought back about uh, the, the example that Christ had set for us. In 1 Peter, in chapter 2, when you get to verse 21 through 23, I want you to notice what 1 Peter's telling us. Because this is something that is so crucial that we understand, that Christ is to be our example. Our example is oftentimes skewed when we look to other members in the church. Maybe I have a, 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 I'm one of the young ladies growing up in the congregation, and I have another, uh, an older lady who maybe is my mentor, or I'm one of the young men or young boys growing up, and I have one of the older men as my mentor, but then I see them do some things that are questionable. I see them get, in, get involved in some worldly things, and then too many times people decide to leave the Lord, reject the Lord, reject his teachings, leave the church, not based on Christ. Not based on what he did for you, but because you became disenchanted with the one who was your mentor. Brethren, if you ever leave the church because of what fallible, sinful men do, then your faith wasn't in God, your faith was in that man. And so we need to make sure that we understand what Peter's teaching us here in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 21, the scriptures tell us, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Does that sound familiar? It sounds familiar because of the first passage that I wrote to you, going back to the book of Isaiah. Something that was written 800 years earlier, now you see the Apostle Peter, guided by the Holy Spirit, writing something very similar. Brothers and sisters, our Savior not only taught non-retaliation in Matthew chapter 5, when you go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in between verses like 38 through 48, he taught non-retaliation, but he also practiced it. While under the most trying circumstances that you could possibly conceive, all that he had gone through... He was silent as a lamb before its shears. He did not utter threats. It, it is only when disciples of Christ do likewise that we too can reflect, that we too can emulate the example that Jesus Christ had left for us. That we can demonstrate the, the influence that Christ and his teachings have over our very lives. So instead of calling down, uh, instead of calling down upon his enemies the vengeance of his father, Jesus prayed and he sought the conversion, he sought the salvation of those who nailed him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you imagine? What would your mindset be in a similar situation? Would you be uttering threats from the cross? Would you be looking for your vindication? Would you be looking for justice to be served? Or would you have trusted yourself into the hands of the Father? Would you have put yourself into the care and the trust of the Father, knowing that all things will work out, whether it's in this life or the next? You see, brethren, instead of calling down upon his enemies the vengeance of the Father, Jesus prayed for these individuals. 
It is pointless to claim to have the Spirit of Christ residing in each of us while disregarding, under any circumstances, the principles that are taught in 1 Peter chapter 2 on the screen behind me. And so, not insulting, not threatening others, these are universal in nature. They are applicable to every situation that you'll ever find yourself in, whether it's 1st century saints or 21st century saints. These, these principles are applicable to every generation of Christians until Christ returns. I think about Matthew chapter 26 and verse 62 and 63. The scriptures tell me, and the high priest arose and said to Jesus, Do you not answer nothing? What is it that, what is that, what is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. I look at the next passage in Matthew 27, 13 and 14. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things uh, they testify against you? But he answered him not one word. And so the governor marveled greatly. Matthew chapter 27, 30 and 31. And then they, then they spit on him. They took the reed and they began to beat him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they put, him on, they put his robe on him, uh, his, put his own clothes back on him, and led him away to be crucified. Brothers and sisters, ask yourself a question. You look at what Jesus went through. You look at the, 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 the amount of severe, the severity of the punishment, the, the cruelty, and the, and the crucifixion, and everything that went along with the scourging, the mocking, the spitting. Ask yourself, how many of you would have insisted on having a defense? How many of you would have insisted on fighting back? How many of you would have insisted on hurling accusations? But remember, what do we learn in 1 Peter? We learn that not insulting and threatening others are universal in nature, and they're applicable to every relationship. It's applicable, applicable to every uh, um, situation that you'll ever find yourself in, whether it's the first century or the 21st century. So sure, we could stand up for ourselves in the face of injustice, but just make sure when you do, you do it with a Christ-like example. The next thing I want us to look at is Jesus prayed for those who put him on the cross. You see, brethren, as I say, Jesus' life gives us the ultimate examples of how we are to live, love, and do all things to the glory of the Father. That we are to make sure that no matter how disappointed you may come, no matter how disappointed you become with one of your friends, no matter how many disappointed you may come with one of your family members, no matter how disappointed you come, you become with one of your co-workers. I want you to understand that forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. And in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, in the 27th chapter of Matthew, in verses 39 through 44, notice what happens here. And those passing by were hurling abuse at Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and you're going to rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from this cross. And in the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes, the elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others, and yet he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him and using the same words. Brethren, even after all of the abuse, after all of the pain, after unimaginable suffering, 
Jesus uttered these words in the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And why is it that Jesus... After being crucified, after you know, being crucified, being scourged, being spit on, being mocked, being ridiculed, having a crown of thorns pushed into his skull, had the ability in the midst of all of that trauma to literally seek the best for those who actually committed, the, perpetrated the crimes against him. He said, Father, forgive them. And yet, Many of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ are unwilling to forgive family, friends, or co-workers for even some of the slightest uh, indiscretions. Amen. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. In the, in the Lord's Prayer, it says that we are to ask God for forgiveness as we forgive those who transgress against us. Do you really want God to forgive you in the same manner in which you forgive others? I'm here to tell you, some of us don't do a very good job. And if you, ask, and if you want God to forgive you in that same manner, brethren, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble unless you clean up, that, the clean up your act. We need to make sure that we're willing to forgive as Christ forgave. How many of us would, would have wanted them, those men to be condemned for the evil acts that they perpetrated on Jesus or on us if we were in that same situation? How many would have answered with hateful words and spewed venom from their mouths, but not Jesus? Instead, he left us an, an example of how we should conduct ourselves in every situation and every relationship in this life. Forgiveness stems from the heart, it stems from the heart of those who love others and desire for them to be saved no matter what transgressions have been committed against them. And lastly, before we close this down, I want to look how, at how Jesus honored the Father's will. In the, in the 16th chapter of the, uh, of the Gospel of Matthew, in verse 21, the scriptures tell us, From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Brethren, what do we see here? Jesus fulfilled the Father's will. And Jesus fulfilled what was promised and planned before even the foundation of the world. In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 36, the scriptures tell us, And he said, Abba, Father. The word Abba simply is a more endearing term. It means Daddy. It means Daddy, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I desire, but what you desire. Not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is setting the ultimate example. It doesn't matter how desperately we may want to get out of something. If it is the Father's will, it is the Father's will. And we do as we are commanded every time, no matter how difficult it may be. Brothers and sisters, Christianity and Christian's duty always trumps personal desire. Christian duty always trumps personal desire. Do you think it's easy for the missionaries to go out into the mission field to deal with all of the problems and the strife that they're going to have to deal with? Many of them suffering persecution, and many over the years, even the loss of their lives. Or the loss of family ones, suffering disease and heartache. Do you think it's easy? No. But they do it because they know that they first 
follow God. And God has desired for us to go out into the world, to take the message, to teach others, to obey all that has been commanded of us, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Brethren, as I close this lesson down in, in, in the scriptures, we see that Christ's divine character is on display. He sets the ultimate example for us to emulate. He respected other people's choices. He did not revile or threaten others. He prayed for forgiveness of those who were the most cruel and vicious towards him. And he honored his father's will. So brothers and sisters, we would do well to really think about all that Christ has done for us. We would do well to understand the example that Christ has set for us. And we would do well to make sure that we're putting uh, God first place in our lives, doing all that's required of us, no matter how difficult it is going to be. Jesus spoke many times very harshly and very directly and very honestly to the people of the first century. He taught them, and he, 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 he taught them the spiritual truths that the Father had given him to teach. He, he backed it up with the power of God working in and through him through the Holy Spirit, and he allowed them to make a choice. Well, if you're here this morning, maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you've been reading. Maybe you've been studying the scriptures. And you have finally decided that you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You can put on Christ in baptism this morning. You can clothe yourselves in Christ by going down into the baptistry to have your sins washed away, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. If that is your desire here this morning, come, to, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>